0: Exclusive podcast from IMPACT 89FM.
1: WDBM East Lansing.
2: Welcome to IMPACT Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The IMPACT's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure.
3: This is IMPACT Exposure. Good evening, my name is Josh. We've got a great lineup tonight. Uh, We're going to be hearing later from the Kresge Art Museum, as well as information about a bone marrow registry registry drive. And we'll hear from the Capitol Green a cappella group actually going to be performing tonight. But first, Lansing's nationally acclaimed Boar's Head Theater is presenting a new production. It's opening this week. It's called The People vs. Friar Lawrence, The Man Who Killed Romeo and Juliet, running February 2nd through February 25th with previews January 31st and February 1st. It's directed by Second City alum Ron West, who also wrote the play, along with Paul Swan, songwriter and producer for DreamWorks. We're joined with three of the actors. Uh, first off, Bruce Green plays Friar Lawrence.
1: That's right. Hello, Josh.
3: Hello, Bruce. Thanks for being here. Also, Sharice Hamilton playing Benvolio. Yep,
4: that's
3: me. Hi. Hello. And finally, Sharissa Armin, who plays Lady Capulet.
4: Absolutely. Hello.
3: Thank you all for joining us. So uh, we'll start with Bruce Green plays Friar Lawrence. So why why is Friar Lawrence on trial, Bruce? Well, Josh,
1: i got a quiz for you. Okay. I'm sure you're familiar with William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet.
3: I am, a little bit.
1: At, at, at the end of the play, Romeo and Juliet, alive or dead?
3: Dead, That's as right. I recall.
1: <laughs> what does he want, Katie? No, uh, you're right about that. At the end of Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet are, in fact, dead. Well, in our play, Friar Lawrence is being held responsible for the murders of Romeo and Juliet. So in our version, Friar Lawrence has to tell his side of the story. So if people come down to the Boar's Head Theater, they'll see what really went down, according to Friar Lawrence. This is the whole Romeo and Juliet story told from Friar Lawrence's point of view. We'll see most of uh, the events of Romeo and Juliet in flashback as Friar Lawrence tries to talk his way out of this mess.
3: Right, as I understand, this this is sort of set up as Friar Lawrence is actually on trial, so he's working his way out of a mess, as you say. It's
1: a bit of an interrogation scene, yes, and he's got to tell uh, his side of the story. And lest people think this is some stuffy, pretentious theater, it is not. This is a (laughs) laugh-out-loud comedy. If uh, people haven't been to the Borset Theater before, this would be a first great show, because it's... uh, just a lot of fun. We got singing, dancing, dirty jokes. Uh, people are really, really going to have a good time if they come down to the theater.
3: Well, it sounds great. Uh, so, Sharice uh, or Sharissa, how do your characters fit into this uh, this adaptation of, of uh, or continuation of Romeo and Juliet? Rather,
1: yeah, it's, well, a, it's a sequel, really.
4: Yeah, uh, my character um, is a boy, actually, um, Benvolio. It's Romeo's cousin, and he's the one that kind of runs around. Um, just joining with the boys and telling them not to fight and, you know, playing out the story, but with a different language and...
3: Okay, so thing. trying to keep Tabs... Trying uh, <laughs> to uh, keep the Capulet trial under control, I guess, this time, right?
4: Household in order and convince her daughter to listen to her.
3: And, and she's... So, so uh, in the trial, what is, what is Lady Capulet's... Well,
4: uh, I'm not... It's more, of a, it's more of an interrogation. We re- really aren't involved in a trial per se. We are everybody except for the friar and the prince are seen in flashback. So, right.
1: That's correct. The prince okay. is interrogating Friar Lawrence. As Friar Lawrence tells his story, we see that story in flashback, and that is uh, where we'll see Romeo, Juliet, Juliet's mother, Benvolio. All right, Josh, Benvolio, alive or dead? <laughs>
3: Oh, this is the tough one. I believe he's I believe he's alive.
1: I uh, I believe you're correct. Yes. He, he All kind right. of disappears halfway through Shakespeare's play, so we don't really know for sure. But uh we we think he we like to be optimistic. To
3: our knowledge he survives, that's right. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so uh so Ron West of course is a, a talented writer, comedian. Uh he actually plays Lord Capulet in this uh production. Right. Yes. Uh, what what has it been like to work with him as a director, you know, him being a talented figure? Uh, directing for Second City in the, in the past, and actually the, uh, the writer of this play, one of the writers of this play.
1: He's a really talented, funny guy. Uh, people might recognize him. They may have seen him on television. Uh, he was on Seinfeld once. He was on Third Rock and the Sun many times. Uh, he also worked on that Whose Line Is It Anyway? So they, they may feel that he's a familiar face when they see him. He's definitely a funny and talented guy. Yeah, and right. <laughs> this play is uh, just about the most clever thing that I've ever been a part of. I mean, it's just very, very clever and funny. He's
4: incredibly intelligent, and everything is so fast moving. You never are tired of of paying attention, and and there's always something to look at and something else to laugh at. It's it's smart and funny and fast, and you will fall out of your chair laughing. Yeah,
1: people might want to come down and see the show twice. In fact, we should mention the address. Sharice, do you have Um, that there?
4: 425 South Grand. That's 425 South Grand Avenue in Lansing, Michigan, 48933. Um, and if you were interested in buying tickets, you can call the box office, um, 484-7805, um, and come on down and see the show if you'd like. It's, it's a great time Yes,
1: for we, us. we want to emphasize, the box office will not call you.
4: <laughs> if, if you're interested
1: in seeing a funny show, uh, you're going to have to call this number. Give it out one more time, Cherise, if you would, please.
4: 484-7805.
1: Yes.
3: So the show starts tomorrow night. That's correct. Runs through February twenty fifth.
1: That's right. We got a couple of previews tomorrow night and Thursday. Uh, opening night is Friday. It's going to be a big, big night here at the Boar's Head. I think we're going to have some uh, bottles of wine opening, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs>
4: I've heard that
1: rumor as well. And uh, then we'll be here Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, for four weeks. Yeah, through February twenty fifth.
3: Well, it sounds like a great show. Uh, one, one more, uh, one more plug, if if we could. I read something that uh, Ron West. Ask, when asked about this play, said uh, something about William Shakespeare appeared to him in a dream. Is this true? And Listen, said, Ron, I,
1: Ron is insane. Said, <laughs> I
3: hate he West Side Story.
1: Disregarded. So, <laughs> okay. uh, well, people here, there's a musical based on Romeo and Juliet, and right. the, the common question is, isn't that West Side Story? Uh-huh. Ron claims that Shakespeare appeared to him in a dream and said, I hate West Side Story. <laughs> this is a much more contemporary and uh, fast and funny type of musical.
3: Well, it certainly sounds great. Uh, Bruce, Sharice, Sharissa, thank you for joining us on Exposure.
4: Thank you. Sure, thanks for having us.
3: I hope the play goes well. Good luck. Hey,
1: thank uh, you. Sharissa, girls, didn't you go to college where this radio station is? Yeah. Absolutely. I All
4: miss right. you, alum. Go green. Go white.
3: All right. This is.
4: Uh, <laughs> okay, I guess we could have been a little more said, go green, go white. <laughs> that, that,
3: that's more like it. That's more I like it. I love the impact. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back with more exposure after the break.
1: Thanks again, Josh. Don't work too hard. Thank,
3: thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.
4: Josh?
5: You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact.
3: At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as
6: gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station.
2: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to The Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
7: Sunday nights, check out Sitter Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on The Impact.
8: Only on Impact
3: Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893 And now... Back to exposure. Welcome back to exposure. My name is Josh. Tonight on the program, later on, we're going to hear from Kresge Art Museum. We're going to hear about a bone marrow registry drive put on by the Business College, and at the end, performance by the Capitol Green Acapella Group. Right now, we're joined by members of Amnesty MSU. If you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to join us, have any questions? Four three two three eighty nine three is the telephone number. Uh, The MSU chapter of Amnesty International, along with the theater department, is sponsoring the play, If Anything is Sacred, written by Fermin Cabal and directed by Frank C. Rutledge. Rutledge. This show provides a glimpse of the effects on victims of the Pinochet regime in Chile. That's correct. It opens tonight in the Auditorium Arena Theater and runs through Sunday, February 4th. We're joined with Holly. Hello, Holly. Hi. And... I didn't get your name. <laughs> Liz, Liz, <laughs> Holly, and Liz, both from Amnesty MSU. Is that correct? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what is it about this play that Amnesty uh, has been has felt uh, compelled to uh, co-sponsor?
0: Well, the Department of Theater approached me and asked us to put together a discussion panel for after the Thursday production of the show, mm-hmm. and we're having a few members of the community. Professors and the director on this panel, where we'll be discussing the torture and human rights issues within the play, and also what's happening currently.
3: Okay, so so what uh, what sort of uh, human rights abuses uh, are you do you have in mind happening currently? So...
0: Um. Well, currently we could talk about anything from the Military Commissions Act to sure. Darfur to. Iraq to North Korea to anything. Sure. So you're
3: covering the whole the whole scope, whole we scope, are. not just uh, sort of uh torture as in Pinochet, but uh any sort of human rights abuses. Uh I read uh, or I listened to the concept podcast on the theater department website uh from the director and he said the play had to be done now Uh, due to the current controversy some of the things we just talked about is that so this is sort of what amnesty feels uh, and this is sort of the motivation for you being a part of this that's correct yes (laughs) okay so what's uh what what sort of professors do you have lined up Uh, various departments Uh, you said you're having professors coming to this information session
6: Yeah, uh, I'm a Spanish major, and I'm taking a Hispanic theater class right now, and my professor is an actress, and she is an ex mom She's from Puerto Rico, so although she's not really familiar with, you know, the Pinochet regime uh, per se, she definitely has a lot to say on Hispanic theater, and in the course we're also going to be talking about some plays having to do with torture as well, so she's, you know, a pretty good source, I'd say, and um, she really, you know, uh, she can present some good ideas and generate some really good discussion, I think.
3: Okay. Any uh, any notable community members? It just open invitation to the community. Uh, any, well, any on the guests? panel,
0: <laughs> we're having um, a former Amnesty member who just graduated from MSU in international relations, mm-hmm. who's very you know knowledgeable about the subject, and also a roommate of mine who's from Chile, whose parents lived under Pinochet.
3: Oh, okay. That sounds. Uh, Sounds very interesting. Uh, so, can you tell me anything about uh, the play itself? Uh, are you involved in the production? Uh, what what can what can uh, viewers expect to see?
0: Well, it's um, an all female cast, mm-hmm. and it's from the perspective of the woman who was tortured, and then it's sort of like that Rashomon effect where it's the same story just presented you know from the different perspectives Mm -hmm. and eventually you learn that she's speaking to you from beyond the grave so she's already you know she's already been killed under Mm -hmm. this and it should be i mean it's very compelling it's not um a comedy (laughs) by any sorts it's tragic and dark and but very very moving and well worth it
3: so we see the personal effects of living under the regime uh Sort of uh, destruction of character, that sort of thing, is the the idea. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, uh, what what other events uh, does Amnesty have coming up in the future?
6: Well, last year, last spring, we had we held a benefit concert at one of the co-ops, and we, you know, it was really successful. We had a bunch of different bands come, and a really great turnout. So we're hopefully, you know, going to do that same thing this upcoming spring.
3: Okay. Well, thank you, Holly. And Liz for joining us. (laughs) Uh, The play uh, starts tonight, runs through this Sunday, and it's at the Auditorium Arena Theater on the campus of Michigan State called If Anything is Sacred. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having us.
3: All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from the Kresge Art Museum. You're listening to Impact Exposure.
5: you're listening to exposure on 88.9 the impact
7: for some high school students school can be a dangerous place a
1: lot of gamers look at you as a gamer too
7: for some just being in school can be a struggle i
0: wouldn't go to school i didn't care about what my mom said my mom would tell me like what are you doing for yourself you're not doing nothing but
7: despite all the obstacles inside every high school student is a graduate.
2: People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't.
7: Go to boostup.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. Boostup.org, brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council.
2: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
7: Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, The Impact's Progressive Torch and Twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music.
6: Only
3: on Impact Prime Time. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893. And now, back to Exposure. Welcome back to Impact Exposure. My name is Josh. We're joined now with Mariah from the Kresge Art Museum. If you have any questions or like to join us, 432-389-3 is the telephone number. Uh, Kresge Art Museum now running an exhibit of the work of photographer Yusef Karsh running through March 18th. Yes. And uh, Mariah, welcome to Exposure. Thanks for joining us.
9: Thanks, Josh. Happy to be here.
3: So uh, what is it about Yousef Karsh's work that... Uh, made the museum feel compelled to bring this exhibit?
9: Well, it's actually kind of an interesting story. His work itself, um, I didn't realize personally that I knew or recognized as many of his portraits as I really did when we started talking about this exhibition um, and I started looking through catalogs of his work. I realized that I had certain images in my my mind of important people within Mm -hmm. the last 50, 60 years. When I thought of Albert Einstein, I thought of a particular image. When I thought of Winston Churchill, I thought of a particular image. Mm -hmm. And there were these really stark, um, dramatic black-and-white portraits that I – that I thought of when I thought of these particular people. And it turns out that almost all of those images that I had in my sort of mental library of notable people were portraits taken by Yusuf Karsh. And um, the story behind the exhibition actually links back to former governor James Blanchard, Mm -hmm. um, who served after his governorship as the ambassador to Canada under President Clinton. And... So from my understanding, about a year or a year and a half ago, um, Jim Blanchard called the director of our museum, Susan Bandy's, and suggested that they do a exhibit of Yusuf Karsh portraits. It turns out that as Governor Blanchard was serving as Canadian ambassador, he and his wife Janet had become friends with Yusuf Karsh and his wife Esther Lita. Oh, yeah. So it just so happened that they already had a personal relationship. And so because of that relationship, the Karshets had donated a portfolio of Yusuf's photographs to the Detroit Institute of Art. Mm -hmm. And these had been on display when they were first donated, but they had been in storage for several years and had not been on wide display to the public. And so, so it was a great opportunity for us to take these portraits, which... Are just absolutely striking and put them on public view again. Our museum
3: certainly great news for the community. Uh, you mentioned uh, Winston Churchill, and and uh, I I uh, I thought of a famous photo. Uh, Turns out to be taken by by uh, Yusef Karsh, uh, taken in 1941 around the the height of World War II. Uh, it's it's famous. Uh, he's he's standing with his hand on a chair, and he's got this sort of uh, grimaced look on his face, like he's you know tough uh fighting against the Nazis that sort of thing uh the the whole photo captures uh uh captures the British mentality i believe and uh that photo's on the cover of life uh many postage stamps uh uh that's that's an example of a great photo
9: exactly uh, and um we were fortunate enough to have Jerry fielder who was a curator who worked with Yusuf Karsh for many years as his assistant tell us a little bit of the story behind that photo. And um, it's really quite interesting. Um, And I believe that he actually uh, quoted some of the story on a recent interview with WKAR. But uh, Karst actually took two photos. Mm -hmm. And um, in this particular photo, which is well known as being defiant and representing Winston Churchill as a very defiant character... um, he is sort of scowling and he's very sort of, um, Resolute looking, I would say. Mm -hmm. And there's another photo, actually, where Winston Churchill is smiling. And this photo really seemed to catch the feeling of the time much better. But one of the reasons why Churchill was scowling in this photo is that in order to get a perfect photo, Karsh had just a moment earlier plucked a cigar out of Winston (laughs) Churchill's mouth. (laughs) And
3: Winston Churchill, known for taking all of his pictures with a cigar in his mouth, that was one of his props. (laughs) (laughs) And it 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 definitely worked beautifully. Uh, What what, was what was the uh, nature of the second photo? How did he how did he get? I
9: believe that the second photo was taken after. um, I don't don't know. I believe it was taken a few minutes after this photo, which is actually more famous. Um, Mm -hmm. So there are kind of two different versions. But this, of course, because of the defiant look on Churchill's face, was more widely published and really seen as a symbol of Britain and. Of Winston Churchill. So we definitely hope that people will take this chance to come down to Kresge and take a look at some of the other portraits. We have portraits of Georgia O'Keefe. we have a portrait of um, Hemingway, all sorts of notable figures, and they can get a preview of the exhibit by visiting our website as well if folks want to take a look at a few of the pictures. Um, online, but you really can't get the full effect unless you're actually right there with them.
3: What is the uh, what is the website for Kresge? It's
9: pretty simple to remember. It's just artmuseum, all one word. dot mm-hmm. msu. dot edu. Okay. So it's fairly straightforward.
3: I see. Right when you go to the website, there's a there's a photo of Helen Keller.
9: Yes. Uh, right on.
3: Also taken by. By uh, Karsh. Uh, it's a nice photo also.
9: Yes, indeed. And that's one of the other photos that we have on display. So we, I believe we have 30 photos on display. Mm-hmm. So, But that is only one of our exhibits. Our other major exhibit right now is called The Worker's Landscape, and I don't mean to diminish that one at all. We have um, (laughs) quite a collection drawn from Kresge's own archives of different representations of work and workers, Mm -hmm. and it varies uh, from paintings to prints And really ties in with a larger theme that the Greater Lansing Museum Collaborative had decided on for this past year, which was a theme of work and workers. So the MSU Museum has had um, worker-themed exhibitions and events. Mm -hmm. Um, The uh, Michigan Historical Museum is also collaborating with us on another exhibition based on the theme of work. And the exhibition that we're having at the Michigan Historical Museum actually has an opening reception coming up, and that opening reception will actually be on uh, February 6th, which is next Tuesday. But RSVP is required if folks want to attend that, so they would need to go to our website and click on the link to Working America photographs from the Ewing Galloway Agency in order to get more info on that.
3: So information about the whole uh, collaboration, uh, Working America exhibits can be found on your website.
9: It can. There's a separate page that talks about the workers' exhibit that we have on-site at Kresge Art Museum. Mm-hmm. And then there's a page that talks about the collaboration that we've had with the Michigan Historical Museum. And that also has links to some of the other museums in town, such as Impression 5, which also has an exhibit that's themed around works, work mm-hmm. and machines for kids.
3: For so Yeah, so there's an exi- exhibit sort of for kids or a competition uh, kids-only uh, photo exhibition. Is that right? Yes,
9: or? yes, indeed there is. I'm glad that you asked about that that is also something um, that we have entry forms and guidelines for on our website. Um, It's right on the front page. There's a little icon of a camera. We hesitate to call it a contest because it's not really competitive, Mm -hmm. Um, but we do want to get a wide variety of children's photos representing what they see as work. Mm -hmm. And that could be a very wide range of activities. Um, They could follow a parent to work, they could take pictures when they were doing chores, they could take pictures of someone on the street doing something that they think of as work. And we invite the children to write a short summary of that photo that they take and then to submit it to this larger pool of photos. And all of the photos and descriptions will eventually be on display in at the Michigan Historical Museum, which is kind of neat, so they'll have their own kids photo exhibit.
3: That'd be museum. great for the kids, and it's entirely open to their creativity. Anything they want to come up with,
9: it is. And we
3: know that children can come up with some great things. <laughs> exactly,
9: it should be, exactly. It should
3: be a great exhibit. Uh, so
9: yeah, that'll be a really fun activity. We have other kids programming coming up on February. 10th we have our creative kids at at kresge event series and Mm -hmm. every year we do a valentine's making workshop and you don't need to pre-register um so if parents and children are interested they can get a little preview on our website we have some pictures of some fantastic valentine creations from past years um And from 1 to 3 p.m., we will just have all sorts of stickers and construction paper and old valentines to be made into new valentines by kids and or their parents if their parents wish to attend as well.
3: A lot of great activities going on at Kresge. Anything else? Definitely. Uh, Any other uh, exhibits, activities you want to mention?
9: We do have something quite unique in our works on paper gallery. I don't want to overlook the works on paper gallery. It's a smaller gallery, um, but it really, because of its smaller size, it's much more intimate. And we have a very special exhibit there right now of Inuit printmaking. And Mm. this is something that is uh, an area that Kresge has acquired recently um, more Inuit prints from a variety of different printmakers and printmaking sort of schools. And we are going to be hosting a gallery talk on February 8th. And the gallery talk in the Works on Paper gallery will be led by Eugene Jenemans. He's the executive director of the Denos Museum Center in Traverse City, and they are actually one of the foremost collectors of Mm. Inuit art. So this should be a really great opportunity to hear about Inuit art and Inuit printmaking and the different places that have nurtured these Inuit printmakers, Um, and that will be over the noon hour uh, on February
3: the 8th. So there's a lot of great things going on. I uh, wish we could hear more about it. We're, we're bad sure. out of time, unfortunately. <laughs> That's
9: understandable, but there's always more info on the web. So, uh,
3: absolutely. You uh, just want to mention real quick, you had a new uh, approved last month uh, for a new facility for the Kresge Art Museum, uh, expected to be completed around 2009, right exactly. in time for the uh, 50th anniversary.
9: We're keeping our fingers crossed that that will be the timeline. As Mm -hmm. far as I'm aware, we're still looking at around 2009, Mm -hmm. and we're very excited. It was a big step to get that approval from the Board of Trustees. It's approval to plan a new facility, and so that puts us one step closer to possibly actually having a new art museum. So we invite folks to um, take a look and keep your ears and eyes open, because we hope that big things will be happening at Kresge in the future.
3: Well, that's great news. Uh, Mariah, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And good luck to you. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Later on, we're going to be hearing from Capitol Green Acapella. You're listening to Impact Exposure. We'll be right back.
5: You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact.
7: When you get up in the morning and turn on the radio, you don't want to hear those other guys talking on your way to work, do you? You don't want to hear talking. You want to hear music. So here at The Impact, we are making you a promise. We're calling it the More Music Mornings 89 Second Play.
3: Later on, we're going to be hearing about a bone marrow registration drive put on by the College of Business. But first, we're joined here in the studio by Capital Green Acapella. Student group, uh, Capital Green Acapella is the only co-ed acapella group at Michigan State University, as I understand it. Uh, We're joined by, uh, looks like the entire group, almost (laughs) the entire group. Uh, We're going to be speaking with Sarah. Sarah. Hello. Welcome to Exposure. And Karen.
5: (laughs) Hi,
6: how's it going?
3: Welcome to both of you. So you are the only co-ed a cappella group on MSU, that's correct, right?
6: That is correct. We've been around for about eight years now and just kind of traveling as much as we can, singing with other groups around the country, and we're actually in the process of recording our first CD Mm -hmm. that will probably be out in the spring.
3: Okay, uh, so is is there any sort of... uh, you sort of bragging rights that come that comes with being the only co-ed a cappella group. It's uh, you sort of, sort of proud of that. Uh?
6: Yeah, we're definitely proud. It's a unique sound having both guys and girls. So we're we're glad to we're glad to be coed.
3: All right. Uh, so you're hosting the uh, international championship of collegiate a cappella. Is that correct?
5: Yep. It's going to be Saturday, February seventeenth, in uh, Fairchild Theater. And if you're looking for tickets, you can get them at WhartonCenter.com. You should also check out our website for more information. There's going to be seven groups from from around the Midwest competing, and our website is MSUCapitalGreen.com.
3: What's the nature of the uh, of the championship? How does this work? This is a quarterfinal. Uh, that's that's correct, right?
5: Mm-hmm. This is the quarterfinal. Then there's also a regional that will be held uh, at Northwestern University in Chicago this year, and then there's a national. Level competition, which is always held in New York City.
3: Oh, that sounds great! Uh, so, what, what do you think your what do you think your chances are this year? You have home field advantage, I guess.
5: Well, we've made regionals for the past uh, couple of years, and mm-hmm. we're hoping for it again. Competition's tough this year, but we think we're up to it.
3: Well, good luck to you. We can sample some of your uh, material right now. See how you're going to do. You're going to be performing a couple songs for us. So, what's the first one?
5: First one is "Over My Head" by The Fray.
3: Okay, well, when you're ready. This is the Capitol Green a cappella performing over my head.
8: I never knew, I never knew that everything was falling through. Everyone I knew was waiting on you to turn and run when all I needed was the truth But that time's gotta be It's coming down to nothing more than apathy I'd rather run the other way than broken, we'll still stay in seat of Smoke and I still stand Don't, do No, 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 Don't never I'm over my head, over my head. So is lefting in time you know dum
3: Impact exposure performance by Capital Green, acapella group. That was over my head by the fray with soloist Phil Strauss. Very good. Next, we have another song. What What's the next song you're going to perform?
5: Uh, we're gonna do Hide and Seek, originally by Imogen Heap.
3: Okay. <laughs> Capital Green, acapella, right here. Exclusive performance on Impact Exposure. Impact exposure. That was the Capitol Green a cappella singing "Hide and Seek" by Emojin Heap. Thank you very much. You can see them at their spring show on April 27th, and they will be holding. They will be hosting the ICCA quarterfinals on Saturday, February 17th, in Fairchild. Good luck to all of you. Thank you. Uh, just, just, just on a personal note, uh, go easy. If you see After Hours from uh, University of Rochester, my alma mater, <laughs> go easy on them. It's a group uh, one of my best friends helped to found. Uh, but good luck to you either way.
8: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks
3: this is Impact Exposure. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, information about the bone marrow registry drive. You're
5: listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact.
1: Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day.
0: Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov.
2: A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
7: Saturday nights from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m. Tune into the cultural vibe to hear the best in both local and national hip-hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. Only on Impact Prime Time You're listening to Exposure on
3: 88.9 The Impact Phone lines are open at 432-3893 And now back to Exposure Welcome back to Impact Exposure My name is Josh A very important event coming up we're going to talk about now the MBA Association of Michigan State University and the Business College are sponsoring a bone marrow donor registration drive along with the Great Lakes region of the National Marrow Donor Program. The event will take place Thursday, February 8th from noon to 5 p.m. at the MSU Business College. If you have any questions about donor registration, you can give us a call. 432-389-3 is the phone number. We're joined today by Kevin Meyer. He's the program coordinator of the Great Lakes region the National Marrow Donor Program. Kevin, thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having us. Also, we're, we're joined by Doug Meyer. Uh, his family story uh, inspired some of these community uh, registration drives, and we'll hear a little bit about that in a moment. Doug, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And also, Professor Judy Whipple of the College of Business. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And Andrea of the MBA Association. That's correct. Thank you. So what what uh, compelled you to uh, organize this, this marrow drive?
10: Well, my uh, husband and I, the last several years, have had uh, many friends who have either been diagnosed with leukemia themselves or have had a parent or child uh, diagnosed with leukemia. And several of them have gone through a, a marrow uh, transplant and um, of them, only one person that that we knew found a match that was a relative, that was a, a donor match. And that actually was um, Doug's son, Stephen, um, who's good friends with my son, was a match for his younger son, um, Thomas. The rest of the people that, that we know that have gone through the process have relied on a stranger who's on the National Marrow Donor Registry. And it just got me curious about that and um, so going to the their website which is www.marrow.org I found out that seventy um, percent of people that uh, need a bone marrow or a blood cell um, donation rely on a stranger who's on that registration list. And um, so you know looking further into it when I looked at the steps of making that donation I thought you know I've, that certainly was something that if I would want someone to do for my family I should be willing to do for somebody else's family. And so I got, um, got on the uh, registration and um, got interested in, in trying to do a little bit more by educating other people and trying to run some uh, donation and registration drives. So I contacted Andrea and um, she was interested, the MBA association was interested, and we actually have um, other student associations all over campus. Um, we're counting right now at about 20 that mm-hmm. have indicated an interest in either helping us volunteer uh, to work at the drive or um, volunteering by putting flyers around campus or start talking to their student groups about the donor drive. So it's just been a great um, outpouring of interest from the students.
3: That's great. A lot of a lot of involvement. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Doug's uh, Doug's family. Doug, if you uh, care to tell us a little bit about that story. Sure. Um, My youngest son, Thomas, at about two, was diagnosed with leukemia, and we were lucky enough that our older son, Steven, was a match. So um, the transplant process was relatively simple for us because we didn't have to go through uh, the search for a donor and wondering if we'd find one or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, Thomas didn't survive, but... It got us interested in in trying to find a way to make it easier for other families because mm-hmm. if you can't find a donor in a lot of cases, you're not gonna make it yeah so, uh so what what sort of people uh is are you trying to attract uh with this uh blood drive
7: well essentially um at this bl- at this drive we're looking for a lot of students um students are uh, one of our most sought-after demographics, young people. Um, the reason being is, in most cases, young people's cells just seem to work better for a recipient than someone who is, say, 50 or 60. Mm-hmm. Um, the cells are just stronger. They work better. Um, s- plus, when they're on the registry, they're on the registry a lot longer. You know, when you attract someone to the registry who is 20 years old, they're going to be on the registry until they're 61. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, we want to try to get as many people involved, um, and have them on the list for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only are we looking for young people, but we're also looking for commitment too. Because mm-hmm. this is a pretty big commitment. When you register, you're really not doing anything at that point. When you're actually doing something is when you're actually called to donate, and then you say yes.
3: And when someone is added to the registry,
7: how, how often is it that they actually end up donating? Well, yeah, the registration process is real simple. I mean, we're not taking blood. All we're doing is a swab on the inside of the cheek with an overgrown Q-tip. It's that Mm -hmm. simple. You fill out some demographics. um, You're on the registry. Now, as long as you keep us uh, um, aware of where you've moved on, so this is especially important for students, um, as long as you keep us uh, aware and you update us, um, if you are matched up to somebody, you're Mm going to be the one person who can help save this patient's life. You're going to be matched up to one person specifically who... It's their last chance. Mm-hmm. Bone marrow transplant is the last chance for somebody. Um, to give, there's two different ways. One is the bone marrow harvest. With this, you are placed under Gen y anesthesia, so you're completely asleep. They do place a needle just above your buttock down into your hip bone where they draw off the marrow that they need. You can't expect to feel sore afterwards. Most people around here describe it to me as I feel like I fell on the ice and I've got a sore rear end. That's the mm-hmm. way they describe it to me. They feel that for a couple days. Usually they're off work for just a couple days. And then after that, it just gets a little bit better. Usually after a couple of weeks, they feel nothing at all. But meanwhile, a patient out there now has a second chance at life. Mm-hmm. The other procedure, which is the most common, is called a peripheral blood stem cell collection. Now, these stem cells that we're talking about, they're not the stem cells we hear about during elections. These are cells that we all have in our body. And you receive a medication for about, five, for about four days prior to the procedure. The medication just stimulates your immune system. You make some extra white cells. You can expect to feel a little sore and achy like you would if you had a good cold or the flu um, very responsive to, like, Tylenol or ibuprofen, um, after that, um, they place, um, you go and have the procedure done where they place a needle and a vein in each arm, just like someone who's donating plasma, um, you know, they process the blood, they take off just a very small amount, the rest of the blood goes back into the other arm, it's very safe, very easy, um, other than the initial needle sticks, virtually painless, um, after that, the cells go off to the patient. Now that's the most common procedure. That actually g- happens about seventy percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So those are really the the, the two procedures.
3: And, it, and it's a very important, very important cause. Uh, there's no there's no reason for donors to have to work worry about any sort of uh, uh, financial obligation. This is all this is all taken care of. That's this right. is
7: all completely taken care of. Um, if you are found to be the match, you know the travel, time off of work can be covered up to a certain amount. Um, uh, sometimes we have to put you in a hotel if you live pretty far away from the collection centers that we have. Um, so yeah, all completely covered. You don't have to worry about your insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big concern for people. So mm-hmm.
10: the patient receiving the donations, insurance covers Correct. the costs.
7: Correct. Mm-hmm. It, it, one of the, one of the biggest areas where we have the need right now is, um, um, within the minority community, we know that patients generally find their best match within their own ethnicity. That's just the way it works. With the blood, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. With marrow, it does. Um, there are the genetics that we pass down from generation to generation also happen, you know, go in line with marrow as well. So um, when you have very few people from particular ethnicities, people from those ethnicities have a very low chance that they're going to find a donor. So right now, minorities only have about a 50-50 shot that they're going to find a donor. So mm-hmm. imagine knowing that this is your last chance, this is your last the last procedure that could help you, and you're going to flip a coin to find out if you're know, if, if you ultimately going to find have that second chance. So we are really appealing to um, to the minority community so we can get more donors. Um, um, with that, we know that we will be able to provide more matches and better those chances of patients in need.
10: And even with uh, Caucasians that have a higher chance, their chance of finding someone on the registry is still only about 90%. Mm-hmm. So even increasing numbers there, yes. you know, in, increase uh, that patient's chance of, of uh, you know, second life.
3: Yes, if, if you join the registry, you could have uh, an impact on one patient that uh, may not
7: have otherwise had a chance. Mm-hmm. And not just that patient, but the entire network of family and friends that are around them. So you're not just mm-hmm. helping one person, you're helping an entire network of people. Mm-hmm. And potentially it could be more than one patient. Yes. We have several donors from this area that have donated multiple times. Yes, I saw a story of, of uh, one man uh, donated to three people. Is that is that correct? From the area? He, yeah, he's uh, not too far away from here. Uh, John, he's one of our champions. He, uh, mm-hmm. He's donated uh, three times, um, three specific people. Um, two of the people were brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing story.
10: Mm-hmm. It's important, too, I think, to recognize that this is an international, uh, this registry can, can be used by international so andrea's dad was a potential match for a little girl in germany Yeah, he actually did um the bone marrow and so it was transported to germany for the little girl in germany he did it in
9: the detroit area um and then actually did it twice for the same same little girl
8: mm-hmm.
3: well uh so uh what kevin kevin i wonder if you could uh maybe walk us through the the uh the donate the donation process as a whole so we we mentioned sort of uh, in segments we go we jo- join the registry uh become available mm-hmm. uh then there's there's a step after that is that is that correct uh, uh
7: yeah th- there is another step um once you've joined um there's a kind of a preliminary matching stage where we call it confirmatory typing and with that what happens is you are found to be a potential match for a patient in need um and usually there's a couple other people who are in that same boat. And um, what they'll do is they'll ask you to come in and just do a little extra blood typing, just a regular mm-hmm. blood draw like you would a doctor's office. And from that, they will pick the one person. And if you are that one person, that's when they ask you to, to donate.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, this uh, the event is on February 8th from noon to 5. As there is an appointment. Uh, can people walk in?
9: It's all based Think on about. walk-in. It's located at 101 Epley, which is the business college within the business college. Mm-hmm. Um, so feel free to walk in, and we'll be more than happy to take the application and, and do the cheek swabs. It and doesn't just,
3: take very long either.
9: Mm-mm.
3: It's a pretty pretty quick process. Mm-hmm. So. Are, are so are the members of the MBA association uh, primarily the workers? Are they are they heavily involved or it's these
9: us plus the twenty other associations that are volunteering okay, so uh, during that process. So really it's just a huge group of people that are, are volunteering
10: their efforts. Uh,
3: I care to list uh, anybody who's volunteering, anybody off the top of your head. I don't want to forget anybody, but maybe um, we can give uh, some credit.
10: I can, I can kind of run through through the list mm-hmm. of, of some of the groups that have, have been involved. Um, certainly the MBA Association, uh, Spartan Consulting, the Eli Broad Student Senate, uh, Sigma Alpha Sorority, National Agribusiness Marketing Association, Food Marketing Association, Supply Chain Management Association, Marketing Association, Finance Association, uh, Multicultural Business Tutorial Association, Asian Pacific American Student Organization, Lambda Phi, uh, Epsilon, Colony Chapter, Alpha Kappa Psi, National Society of Minorities and Hospitality. Uh, multicultural business students, National Association of Black Accountants, Native American and Hispanic business students, uh, Women in Business Association. Uh, we also have interest from um, individuals in human medicine and the College of Education. So, those are all um, where individuals from one of those associations mm-hmm. has either um, indicated an interest, has signed up to volunteer has been willing to, to circulate flyers, has been willing to make a presentation to one of those organizations. Uh, so it's really just been a, a great effort.
3: And if, if anybody else wants to uh, not only donate but volunteer, uh, they find information about doing that on your on, your, on the website as well.
10: Yeah, uh, they, if they want more information on the Merrill process, they can go to www.merrill.org. Mm-hmm. If they'd like more information on the drive, it's probably easiest if they just want to email me. Um, my email is whipple, W-H-I-P-P-L-E, at bus.msu.edu. You can look me up on the business webpage, last name Whipple, or you can look me up through the Marketing and Supply Chain Management Department. Um, So interested students, probably I'm the easiest on-campus contact person.
3: Uh, Kevin Meyer, do you have uh, any other uh, registry drives in in the area uh, coming up soon? Well, well,
7: certainly. We're always adding uh, new drives. We're always uh, looking for more interest. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you you can always go to, uh, Judy mentioned, uh, uh, Mero.org, the local office, um, which actually is based right here in East Lansing. Um, is uh, you can look at our website, which is www.marrowgreatlakes.org, mm-hmm. and there there is a page um, that you can look. It says how to join, and there is a page where you can look for drives, which are co- which is constantly being updated. And you can go to those events, and you can get tested. Or if you're interested in hosting your own event, you can also uh, you can find the contact information at that marrowgreatlakes.org. So so yeah, definitely give us a call. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, so it should should be should be a very important event Thursday, February 8th from noon to five. That's at the Business College. Uh, Kevin Meyer, uh, Doug Meyer, Judy Whipple, and Andrea. Th- th- thank you all for joining us. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you for you listening for tonight us. to uh, Impact Exposure. Stay tuned to the Progressive Torch and Twing. That's coming up next, right here on 88.9 The Impact.
2: Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.